Did you hear, apparently, uh, France is sending us a new Statue of Liberty? Not, not a new one to replace the one that we already have, thank you very much. But they're gifting us a, a second Statue of Liberty. It's a smaller version than the original. So what are we going to do with a, a second Statue of Liberty? Where are we going to put this? I'd like to make uh, a, a case for Lake Erie. Let's put it on the shores of Lake Erie. Why not? Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the point of pride. What Pride Month means to the LGBTQ plus community, and what they are really asking of the population at large. On the heels of Findlay's Pride Month celebration over the weekend, we speak with the director of Spectrum of Findlay. Also this morning, more than a quarter million cases of cardiac arrest happen outside a hospital each year, nearly all of them fatal. As Americans become social again, it's worth remembering that bystander intervention can save lives. And after being grounded by the pandemic, Flag City Honor Flight is now planning to resume operations later this year in a big way. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, June 7th, 2021. Everybody around the world uh, took up a new hobby uh, over the uh, course of the past year during the pandemic, uh, needed something to do, so somebody in France decided, eh, let's build another Statue of Liberty. Why not? And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's very nice. They say it should be here uh, by the 4th of July, uh, which is very appropriate. They say that the uh, new Statue of Liberty will be here by the 4th of July. And what are we doing for the 4th of July? We're closing roads. <laughs> No, seriously, you heard that in the uh, in the news. They're going to make uh, some improvements to uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway um, and a uh, couple of intersections. The which if, if you've been in, in the community for any length of time, you know uh, that uh, during flooding events, it can be a real nightmare. So they're going to fix that. They're going to raise the roads and I guess do some other things to uh, lessen the impact of, uh, of flooding. And uh, it says for about the first month of the project, the intersection of East Main Cross and East Street will be passable, but that intersection will close uh, completely uh, right around the 4th of July. So in honor... <laughs> In honor of the 4th of July, the all-American holiday, we're going to do what we do in America, and that is we're going to close roads for construction. <laughs> of course we will be closer about October. So. <clears throat> Good mornings to you. It is Monday, June 7th, the 158th day of 2021, 207 days until the end of the year. Today is June Bug Day. And did you know they are called that, June bugs, because they're little, uh, little scarab beetles. They're in the scarab beetle family. Um, they are called that, June bugs, because they emerge from the ground this time of year and search for food and a mate. They have been in the ground as larvae for up to three years. So not, not quite as long as the cicadas, but that's where they hang out for up to three years until they mature. And then they emerge from the ground. During the day, they hide in the trees. But at night, they tend to swarm and are strongly attracted to light, as we know. So today, celebrating the June bug. Also today, it is National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. It is Trial Technology Day. And it is VCR Day <laughs> today. So blow the dust off of your VCR Make some jiffy pop on the stove and settle in for a family movie night tonight. Let's see here. So today, the Supreme Court could disclose whether it will hear a case over whether only men should be required to register for the military draft when they turn 18. Uh, the argument is that the requirement of only men when they turn 18 to register for selective service, is gender discrimination. Now, at one point, it was only men that could serve in the military. And then it was only men that could serve in combat roles. Now, virtually every job in the military can be filled by either a male or a female. 
And so the argument goes that requiring only males to register for selective service, even though we haven't had a draft in years, uh, young men still have to register, and that amounts to sex discrimination. I've said this for a long time. I mean, in for a dime, in for a dollar. If, uh, If women can do every job in the military, then they should have to register for the draft as well. I remember when I turned 18, I thought that was unfair that only men had to uh, register uh, for the draft Uh, among those opposed to the male only requirement you might think that this would be men primarily who are opposed to this but no women's groups including the american civil liberty uh, american civil liberty unions aclu's women's rights project are opposed to the male only requirement they say women should register as well uh, Ria Mar uh, says it imposes a serious burden on men that is not being imposed on women. But she also said it is sending a tremendously harmful message that women are less fit than men to serve their country in this particular way. And they also make the argument, and this is kind of interesting, conversely, it says that men are less fit than women to stay home as caregivers in the event of an armed conflict. So, it'll be interesting to see uh, if the Supreme Court takes this case up, but the uh, decision could come today, not on the case, but whether the Supreme Court will hear arguments in the case. So, we will see. Could be one of those stories that people are buzzing about today. Um, speaking of buzzworthy stories, of course, we've had a couple of recent uh, ransomware attacks, one against Colonial Pipeline the other against JBS, the uh, big meat supplier. Colonial admitted they paid nearly $4.5 million in ransom money to get their data back, get their systems back online. It is not known if JBS did the same, but their systems came up online pretty quickly for the aftermath of a ransomware attack. So one would assume that they paid some ransom. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, speaking on CNN yesterday, said that she would support outlawing ransomware payments. So think about that. If you're a business and your systems get hacked, um, your choices are leave your systems down, try to recover, and all of the economic upheaval that comes from that with Colonial Pipeline or the meat supply... And so on. Or you can break the law, federal law, by paying uh, a ransom. Right now, it's not illegal to do that. But the energy secretary says she would support outlawing ransomware payments by companies. She says there are enemies of the U.S. who have the capability to shut down our power grid and who are trying to do so even as we speak, she said. And uh, she said if you pay ransom where if you pay the the ransom demands then you only encourage this behavior and uh so that's why the the argument is that if you pay the ransom or if you don't pay the ransom then the ransomware attacks would stop which is probably not true they'd still uh attack and maybe you could counter argue that it would encourage rogue stakes Uh, rogue states to use more ransomware attacks because it would put companies even further into a corner than it does now because they would not have the option to pay the ransom. So they would be even more disruptive because I think everybody agrees that the uh, the main purpose of ransomware attacks is not to make money. Well, for the hackers, it's to make money, but for the rogue states like Russia... China, the object is to disrupt uh, life in the U.S. And if companies were prohibited to pay the ransom to get systems back online quickly, then it would be even more disruptive than it is now. So you might actually incur it. It'd be interesting to see. No word on whether Congress uh, has any intention of taking that up. But the question was asked. That's what she said. We should make it illegal. I don't know. Things getting back to normal. 
after the uh, pandemic. You know, uh, airlines are back up to, I think I saw something the other day that airlines are up to 90% of their flight schedule uh, compared to before the pandemic. So they're nearly all the planes are back in the air. And demand for flights, they say, actually, demand for leisure flights, business travel, not back to where it was yet, but demand for leisure travel uh, is actually higher now than it was before the pandemic. So the airlines uh, are, are really happy now that we uh, restrictions have been lifted and, and so on. You still have to wear masks on planes and so on, but people are traveling more, and no one, no one is happier than the airlines for sure. Uh, they had mothballed a lot of their planes out in the desert because they had all of these planes they weren't flying. What do you do with them? You put them in storage out in the desert, and now they have a problem. Uh, reports say Qantas Airlines mechanics at their Southern California facility found parked jets teeming with rattlesnakes and scorpions when they went to pull them out of storage last week. They went to pull their final planes out of storage, and they were t- they were had been stored in the Mojave Desert, where there are a lot of rattlesnakes and scorpions, and the. These creatures uh, love to curl up around the aircraft and, you know, stay out of the sun. So, <laughs> I know the film Snakes on a Plane takes on a whole new meaning. I, I don't know. The next time you fly, <laughs> just be aware that if, you know, that planes in the Mojave Desert uh, were in, invaded by rattlesnakes and scorpions. I don't know if that makes you feel any better about flying or not. Yikers. And speaking of things getting back to normal after the pandemic, here is definitely some good news. The Philadelphia Naked Bike Ride is back. Organizers of the annual Philly Naked Bike Ride say this year's event will take place August 28th. Um, the uh, lead organizer... Uh, of the event, Wesley Noonan Sessa says they will keep a close watch on what the city says in the next month or so in terms of health restrictions and health guidance, but they are bound and determined to move forward with this year's naked bicycle ride. Oh, and this year, they say, as of right now, the plan is a bicycle bicyclist will not need shirts or pants or shorts, or even underwear, but they will have to wear a mask. (laughs) Just because you know safety first. (laughs) August 28th, they say the uh, event will require masks based on the city's coronavirus restrictions, but uh, in keeping with the true nature of the event, they won't have to wear anything else. It is always quite a sight, uh, the Philly Naked Bike Ride each year. (laughs) But it will be even more so this year. There you go, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. Welcome back to a new week. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchak. WTOL 11, first alert forecast, a chance of showers and storms today with the high of 84. Chance of storms tonight, a low of 70. Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway in Finley will be closed into October to allow for a project to raise two intersections and a portion of roadway so they don't flood. City engineer Jeremy Kalb. At the end of the day, what this project is doing is raising the intersection of East, Street, East Main Cross as well as that claimed court side. So if we ever receive any floods such as the 2007-2017 flood, emergency vehicles will still be able to have access through there. He says for about the first month of the project, the intersection at East Main Cross and East Street will be passable, but that intersection will close at around the 4th of July as they start to work on raising that intersection as well. Get more on the project on our website. A woman was arrested after allegedly leading Finley police on a pursuit. The Finley Police Department says they tried to pull over a car at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday in the 500 block of West Trenton. Police say the driver led officers on a five-mile pursuit westbound on U.S. 224.
before finally pulling over. Police say the woman was taken into custody for OVI and fleeing and eluding. Ohio lawmakers are taking another crack at closing one of the most ignored loopholes in state law, one involving fireworks. At issue is the requirement that fireworks purchased in the state must be taken out of Ohio within 48 hours of purchase and can't be set off in the state. Critics of the law have noted for years the ban is widely ignored. The Senate on Wednesday approved a bill that would rescind the out-of-state requirement. The legislation would also create an Ohio Fire Code Rule Recommendation Committee to review changes to the state fireworks law and impose a 4% fee on purchases of consumer fireworks. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The Finley City Schools Summer Lunch Program begins today and runs through July 29th. Meals are available from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday at Glenwood Middle School. Meals are free for everyone under 18, and adults can purchase one for $3.50. Get more on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. And now our cover story this morning, The Point of Pride. This weekend, uh, Spectrum and Findlay uh, held their uh, Pride Month celebration. A beautiful weather for it. Joining us is Dr. Jasmine Bradley, LGBTQ plus Spectrum of Findlay. Jess, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Beautiful weather uh, over the weekend. Could not have asked for uh, for better weather. Um, kind of give us the the, the post mortem on. I mean, obviously, uh, from within the LGBTQ uh, community, had a huge turnout. What about from the general population uh, at large? That really is, I, I guess, probably the measuring stick of how successful this is. Yeah, we really find that uh, Finley Pride um, connects with our allies. And, you know, when I look around the park, actually, on Saturday, there's about 50% of the people there are actually supporters of the community, Mm -hmm. friends, family. Uh, Some people are just coming out because they just want to be visible and showing that support. And Mm -hmm. so we really appreciate that. Definitely. So and that kind of leads to the the basic question we wanted to to ask. And we talk about Pride Month and it's uh, all over. We hear it, uh, you know, all through through the month of June. What does this mean to the LGBTQ plus community. Why is this so important? Uh, This is so important. And uh, so I'm a medical doctor by training. Uh, My passion is public health and prevention. Um, And so I really connect the work that I do with Spectrum with the work that I do in other public health um, work around the state. And that is um, trying to uh, really look at the social determinants of health. And when we think about the LGBTQ plus community, we know that um, health disparities exist and you can look at pretty much across any health markers and we're going to get um, we're going to get twice the issues, basically. Like uh, if you want to look at suicide rates, it's usually double the general population. Mm-hmm. You want to look at even things like diabetes, blood pressure. It's 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 above the general population. And that's because we have to create spaces in which people want to actually interact, uh, especially with preventative health care or preventative services. And if someone doesn't feel safe in a space, they're not going to interact with that. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of what is the real kind of impact of pride, it's that safety. It's, and I have received so many messages in the last you know, week Wow, I've this is my first pride. I've never felt so safe and so welcome mm-hmm. and like I so belong in a space. Yeah. And by extension, kind of combining those two questions, what does it mean when you see half the people at the park uh, who are not within the community themselves at an event like this? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to the LGBTQ plus community? It's huge because especially in a place like Finley, Hancock County, the people that are actually creating those spaces, you know, they are the allies. So the 50% of the people that weren't part of the LGBTQ plus community that came are people that are committed to creating safe and inclusive spaces. Mm -hmm. And if they work in our service provider, you know, in our doctor's offices and our dentist offices, that is the people that are creating culture change in our community. And And I often say it's the conversations we are not a part of. It's the people that came on Saturday, saw 
the LGBT community and are taking that back to the office today mm-hmm. or taking that back to their church this weekend and saying, hey, we we are, we are love everybody, but we could do better to create inclusion. With that in mind, um, as you mentioned, obviously, especially in this community, it's a very conservative uh, community, slow to change. Um, and in, in some ways, the, that's in many ways, that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it does... uh, uh, present a challenge with respect to this particular issue. So for those who are still, I don't want to say skeptical, but for lack of a better term, for those who still don't get it, don't understand, what is it that you are really asking of the community at large? Because you've heard the the criticisms. People say, oh, they're out there, they're putting it, they're they're pushing that lifestyle on the rest of us. Mm -hmm. What is it that you are really asking of the rest of the community? I'm asking the rest of the community to understand that by creating inclusive spaces, you're saving lives. And so put the prejudice aside for a minute, and we can all agree that people shouldn't be feeling suicidal just because of who they are. People shouldn't be uh, not having access to services just because of who they are. And so when we can just push aside some of that prejudice uh, and understand that when someone lives in a marginalized, uh, is part of a marginalized population, it takes actual intentional effort to bring them in and include them. And so that is what pride is about. It's not a special, people say, oh, we're getting special preference and mm-hmm. things like that. Well, when we live in a world where everything is a battle, <laughs> you know what? I'll give them special preference for a weekend. And that raises people up. It raises the voice up and it gives gives the platform for people to feel comfortable and safe. Mm-hmm. That is, how is that something that should be a shock to people? Yeah. There, there's also beyond, uh, obviously there's the, there's the social component. There's also a legal component here mm-hmm. uh, as well because, and, and I always liken it when, when I have this conversation with, uh, with others, um, we infer special, uh, uh, special benefits to married couples, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. And so when we uh, give uh, special consideration to heterosexual married couples, obviously there is the uh, equal protection under law uh, issue. So there's this goes beyond just social issues. Mm-hmm. However, is does one take precedence in your mind uh, over the other, the, the social acceptance versus the legal issues? No, they're uh, definitely two um, two kind of coinciding things that we have to Different work on. Yeah, the same point. we we term it, and I work a lot with Equality Ohio, but they say lived equality and legal equality. Mm-hmm. So we are not all the way there with legal equality, even right. So we can still be fired from our jobs. We can still be denied housing. Um, you know, okay, we got marriage equality, but that didn't really bring along the transgender community with that. Which which is more difficult? Uh, do you find the the legal side of it or the the social side? I would imagine different in different ways, but which? Yeah, <laughs> you know. we do, we we support Equality Ohio, and they don't generally deal with the legal side, mm-hmm. and we are dealing with the lived equality. Yeah, and I think that they are both difficult in their own way, but I do think that lived equality takes a longer stride because that is a culture change. Yeah. And it doesn't it's not us lobbying. Yeah. It's it's the allies actually yeah. talking about it. That's yeah, an interesting mm-hmm. point that that you bring up. And uh to that uh, to that end, obviously we all remember what happened last year uh with the uh, vandalization of yeah. the uh pride uh, painting downtown. Yeah. Um where are we now, would you say, as compared to where we – because we spoke with you after that happened, after that incident. Yeah. Where are we now compared to where we were just a year ago? I, For me, the negativity has been minimal this year, and that, that speaks volumes. We're three years into doing this in a bigger way, mm-hmm. uh, and we can see that people are now understanding a bit more. They're having those conversations. And we can even see that on some of the comment threads where we'd usually see a whole bunch of negative comments. Like, it's really pretty quiet this year. And I think that that is an indicator of the culture change. Um, the young man that did vandalize the sign last year, the street painting last year, you know, we were able to work with the court system and he did 50 hours of community service with us. And so we were able to actually kind of 
engage in our community, engage in the leadership in this community. And actually that, that young man is a nice young man and he made a mistake and we were able to talk through some of that. And, and I think that when we can come and have those conversations, we might not all agree, you know, mm -hmm. I don't agree with his perspective on things, mm -hmm. but we found a place to respect one another. And I think that if we can continue to find those moments where we can find commonalities and respect, we can continue to build uh, this culture shift in is Hancock that, County. Is that the biggest uh, challenge in getting over the hump of that, that, that last five yards? You know, you, it's a hundred yard dash and you're 95 yards and you've got that last five yards uh, to the end zone. Is that, uh, is that kind of where you are in the challenge in getting those last five yards? I don't know if we're at the last five yards yet, <laughs> but I think we're getting to the point where people are understanding like, hey, I'm not, we're not trying to change your opinion. <laughs> we just want respect and dignity. Um, and I think that that message is coming through slowly but surely. We will leave it there again. Dr. Jasmine Bradley is with uh, LGBTQ. LGBTQ. It's a lot less. I know. Spectrum of Finley uh, uh, on uh, this uh, Pride Month uh, after uh, this past weekend's uh, Pride Weekend here in Finley. Jazz, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Well, from the health and medical file this morning, it is estimated that over 350,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrest events occur each year in the U.S., and almost 90% of those are fatal. Therefore, bystander cardiopulmonary resuscitation, what we commonly call CPR, is critical in making sure that we lower those numbers uh, or raise those numbers in terms of survivability, I guess, the way you look at it. Uh, joining us this morning is Director and uh, Chief Instructor at Emergency and Critical Care Trainings, Chairman of the Educational Science and Programs Subcommittee, Dr. Gustavo Flores, uh, along with registered nurse, uh, Laura Rodriguez, who also happens to be a CPR survivor herself. So, Laura, you have uh, firsthand experience uh, with this. Uh, Dr. Flores, let me start with uh, you. Why is it that uh, the survival rate is so low? I think we can probably guess, but kind of take us through this medically. It has to do with lack of uh, early bystander CPR and early use of an automated external defibrillator, or AED. Survival here depends on the willingness of others to land a hand, or literally to. And the forefront is this early CPR by bystanders who witness the event and initiate this chain of survival. And the survival rates can actually, it says here, double, even triple uh, if that CPR is performed within the first few minutes, correct? Yes. So There are some communities that have a lower likelihood that provide that bystanders will provide cpr after witnessing a sudden cardiac death therefore that leads to uh, variations in, in treatment and outcomes yeah and and that's the the key point that i want to uh, bring up here is that we mentioned the you know 90 percent fatality rate and the overall numbers about how uh, that rate can be increased and and that's overall but not uh, all events are uh, are equal uh, depending on uh, a number of factors, many of them socioeconomic. Yes, we know that um, there are places where we could do a lot better in terms of getting bystanders to begin rendering help. Once you start helping, it's a lot easier to continue helping this victim. Therefore, there are some places that have very significant barriers or perceived barriers to performing bystander CPR, especially in minority and low-income uh, communities. And, and, and they have to do with their willingness to perform CPR, including hands-only CPR. And, and these have to do with uh, their lack of confidence and their ability to do so, lack of access to basic CPR training, and also uh, fear of reprisal or legal consequences yeah. from uh, police or law enforcement. 
And what's uh, ad- what adds to the complexity here is that many of those same uh, communities, minority and low-income communities, uh, are more likely to have poor cardiovascular health overall to begin with, which actually uh, complicates the issue. Laura, talk a little bit about your, as we said, you're a CPR survivor, so you know uh, what all of this means firsthand. Talk a little bit about your experience. Well, I'm a bystander CPR survivor. Uh, in 2006, I did uh, had a collapse. I collapsed at my daughter's school, which was a student death. And the nurse, the school nurse, was able to recognize that I was on cardiac arrest, and she started CPR right away. She also used the AED, the defibrillator, and she chucked me twice. And uh, even with that, I continue in cardiac arrest. So she kept doing CPR until the ambulance arrived to the school. So that was very uh, an experience that changed my life and changed uh, a family uh, life. Uh, now we are trying to be the voice and uh, encourage other people that we are, whatever we, we are, that how important it is to learn CPR. Yeah, uh, uh, we also identify the defibrillators on every 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 place we walk in, where they are. It is easy to understand how you go through something like that. Uh, you become an advocate uh, for. Uh, making people aware of the need. And uh, aside from that, Dr. Flores, what what is being done or what can be done to address these disparities, as you mentioned, uh, particularly um, in minority and low-income communities, to encourage people to get involved and to help them understand that they can make a difference? Well, the American Heart Association is focusing more aggressively on overcoming societal barriers uh, created by structural racism, because disparities are apparent in all areas of healthcare. Uh, we we want to do so by sending a clear message, and that is, if you find somebody who's not responding and it's not breathing or it's not breathing adequately, start CPR, get an AED as soon as possible, regardless of race, gender, or background. Uh, like you said, this is a, a concerted effort uh, by uh, the uh, Heart Association to uh, make sure that we uh, emphasize this point, not just, especially in minority and low-income communities, uh, communities, but really for the general population as well. Where do we get more information? You can visit the American Heart Association's website, that is cpr.heart.org. Because uh, it is one way that you can save a life by simply uh, getting involved and doing the uh, right thing. Uh, Again, uh, Dr. Gustavo Flores and uh, registered nurse Laura Rodriguez, thank you both for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you for your opportunity. Thank you so much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Police in Phoenix, Arizona, say they got a call uh, last week from employees of South Mountain Mortuary. They said the mortuary van had been stolen. (laughs) How would you like to, and worst of all, um, there, it was not empty. Let's just put it that way. It was not empty when it was, <laughs> when it was stolen from the mortuary. There were guests on board. Let's just put it that way. How would you like to have to call the boss and say, uh, <laughs> if you work in a mortuary, you have to call the boss and say, um, our van just got stolen. <laughs> Who drew the short straw having to call the boss? Call that in. Uh, officers spotted a vehicle matching the description of the van a short time later. I mean, how many can there possibly be? They located Jose Molina, and he matched witness descriptions and surveillance video of the suspect. He was found with um, drugs on his person. Now, not surprisingly, I say, I suppose. Police also found a key fob for the stolen van, which authorities then used to unlock the vehicle. Authorities add that there were two guests inside the mortuary van when it was stolen. 
Mr. Molina was booked on uh, theft of a motor vehicle, narcotic possession, possession of drug paraphernalia, and just for good measure, they slapped him with a charge of improper removal of a dead person. In other words, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you can't, yeah, uh, what do they, what do they call that? The abuse of a corpse, abuse of a corpse, you know, it's a similar charge to that. Just threw that in for good measure since it was a mortuary van. Uh, it might have looked, from the international file, the broken news, it might have looked like a uh, mortuary van had uh, wrecked uh, on uh, a highway in England recently. Police uh, said, uh, police in Cambridgeshire say two vehicles were involved in a crash on the A14 highway. Uh, one of them lost its load of olive oil and tomatoes. Now, think about this. These were crushed tomatoes and olive oil uh, all over the road <laughs> police said it looked like the scene of a horror film <laughs> the roadway was covered in a l- layer of uh, red globby liquid um, fortunately no one seriously hurt one driver sustained minor injuries and was released after uh, being treated at a local hospital the roadway was not fully reopened until the following afternoon so cleanup and resurfacing work could take place <laughs> But that must have been quite a sight. Uh, What happened here if you stumbled across that accident? Also from the uh, international file, the broken news, the county fire service in Victoria, Australia, was called recently to help rescue an animal. Animal rescues not altogether uncommon in Australia or in this country or really anywhere. Cats in trees and birds on rooftops and things like that, sure. But in this case, they were called to help rescue a horse that had wandered into a neighbor's yard and gotten stuck in their swimming pool. (laughs) So this is not something that you get every day. Firefighters say they had to be very quiet to avoid spooking the horse. Rescue team was able to lower the water level. They drained part of the pool and then put a ramp in so that uh, the, the horse could walk out of the pool. The owner of the horse, the house next door, says she suspect that Shiraz, name of the horse, Shiraz, got into the pool on purpose. They said this was probably not an accident, <laughs> saying that he loves water. Uh, the owner says my suspicion is that he pushed the gate open and got in willingly. <laughs> just, just couldn't get out. <laughs> clever horse take a dip in the pool um could have some horses doing that around these parts it'd be a very warm week a florida man is in custody after trying to get this tried to throw his infant child at police officers cops tried to pull over john henry james the third for failing to maintain I, uh, his uh, his lane for an improper lane change, and Mr. James instead led authorities on a 40-minute chase which continued on foot when the suspect turned around and tossed his two-month-old baby at an officer. Now, I will point this out. The baby was the officer caught the child. The baby was unhurt. Thank goodness. Police were able to arrest Mr. James. He is charged with two felony counts of aggravated child abuse, also battery of an officer, (laughs) because he he threw the child at the officer, so that qualifies as battery, and a felony uh, fleeing and eluding uh, faces other charges as well. But father of the year he ain't. Is now officially out of the running for father of the year. Man. And finally, in the broken news this morning, <laughs> there's drunk driving, and then there's being so drunk behind the wheel that you order McDonald's from the officer sent to arrest you. That's drunk. And that's what happened after 33-year-old Army Lance Corporal Kaylee Marie Goodall, age 33, was caught driving all over the road on the way back to her camp in uh, Catterick Garrison after a night of partying with friends. 
A breathalyzer test determined that Ms. Goodall's blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. Before the test was even given, she apparently rolled down her window for the responding officer. You know, comes up to her, uh, up to her car. She rolls down the window <laughs> and tried to place a fast food fast food order. Apparently, as if he were a, a drive-through uh, <laughs> employee. That's when they knew. Oh, we've got something here. She was removed for her vehicle. She's a ten-year Army vet. Was banned for uh, for twenty-seven months from driving after pleading guilty to drunk driving. She was sentenced to one hundred hours of community service over the next year and ordered to pay legal fees. In in addition, she faces a military disciplinary hearing. Tried to order McDonald's from the officer. Who's pulled her over? Yeah. That's, that's inebriated right there. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news update. This uh, report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. So with Americans continuing to get vaccinated, 63% of U.S. adults uh, have now gotten at least one shot. So we're getting very close to that 70% number, that target number for herd immunity. And as COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations and, of course, deaths continue to decline, Americans are back getting social again. We are, um, uh, we are feeling more optimistic and less worried about the pandemic. And a new Gallup survey, uh, this, of course, uh, coincides with the fact that more restrictions are disappearing Last week, Ohio lifted all of its mask mandates and and everything, statewide uh, mandates and so on. A new Gallup survey finds that two-thirds of U.S. adults now say their lives are at least somewhat back to normal. Somewhat. Only 9%, though, say things are completely back to normal. So, the answer to whether or not our lives are back to normal yet is not quite but getting there. 9% say uh, they are fully back to normal 34 percent say things have not gone back to normal but most of us feel somewhere in between those saying they are even somewhat worried about getting covid has fallen to a low of 20 percent and for the first time since the pandemic began americans are in favor of telling healthy people to lead their normal lives as much as possible instead of stay home as much as possible to avoid contracting or spreading the coronavirus. Now, some of that has to do with, obviously, increasing vaccinations. Some of it has to do with the more we learn about how this virus spreads and whether vaccinated individuals can be carriers. But, again, for many, the answer to whether or not we're back to normal post-pandemic is not quite, but getting there. And that certainly is an encouraging sign. talking about uh, getting things back to normal post-pandemic after being grounded for uh, a year plus. Flag City Honor Flight is now planning to resume operations later this year, and in a big way, Bob Weinberg is uh, with us from Flag City Honor Flight, and you actually uh, have big news this morning. You have gotten official approval to resume operations. That's correct. It's the first time that I can go public and tell people we're going to fly. <laughs> that yeah. is that is really good news. So you had actually been planning to do this, but needed the official go-ahead? Correct. We fly under the National Honor Flight umbrella, and uh, all the hubs do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Flag City Honor Flight needs their okay to do that. Without them, we can't fly using even Honor Flight name. Yeah. Uh, so the 
the season was canceled or postponed through uh, August 15th, and uh, they've just released it. August 16th, hubs will start flying again. So uh, that actually means that in your uh, pre-planning where you had uh, – we were talking a little bit before we went on the air – you normally would start uh, in April – Right. Uh, with your season, but you pushed that back, and that turned out to be a fortuitous decision. Yes, we we're just trying to figure out how to plan the season and, and how, how late can we go and still get a full season in. Mm-hmm. So we're planning two flights and two bus trips starting in September. Yeah, as we mentioned, you when you resume operations, it is going to be in a big way. Uh, it's going to be very busy the uh, end of the year to squeeze in four trips in the last, what, uh, three months of the year. Correct, so. correct. So uh, where are you now with respect to planning uh, all of that? Well, actually pretty far. We have, we have our uh, uh, aircraft uh, reserved. We mm-hmm. have our buses for our flights reserved. Um, our medical coordinator and veteran coordinator, Kim, truly has done a great job of putting those flights together, recontacting all those veterans that were going to fly in 20. Uh, so she's already ahead of schedule or ahead of us as far as planning it together she's putting that putting all those pieces together Mm -hmm. how uh, how many of those uh were were most of them able to reschedule and will you get because i know that was one of the the biggest disappointments of all of this uh having been grounded and not being able to uh to fly and to travel to uh, washington because many of the veterans that we're talking about here uh, i mean the the clock is ticking quite literally yeah, exactly and uh but yes there are some that aren't with us mm-hmm. uh but the majority uh, the high percentage of those that we're going to fly in in 20 are going to fly with us in in 21 it even changes the the look on the bus trips also because the bus trips are primarily um good healthy uh, vet- Vietnam veterans mm-hmm. and a lot changes in a year's time. Yeah. Um and does this will this have a uh, a snowball effect in in pushing back uh the the people that ordinarily may have been on flight had the 2020 flights happen would be on the 2021 trips now they will have to to push uh, back as well yeah exactly exactly so 20 now goes to 21 yeah. anything that was planned for 21 or people that thought would be on 21 may depending on again availability may mm-hmm. get on 21 but it could could go to 22 so I, I guess that one of the uh, the reasons that uh, i was going to ask one of the reasons why you're being so aggressive in 2021 is to play catch up exactly yeah exactly that's why we wanted the full season schedule so so uh so what would be a normal year? You've got two flights, two bus trips. How would that compare to, say, a normal year? Well, that's what we do. Normally we okay, do two so flights is. and two bus trips, but yeah. we do it in a more timely fashion right. for Flight City Honor Flight right. <laughs> and the people involved. So everybody working real hard to squeeze a full year's worth uh, into a very compressed amount of time. Yeah, basically two months. We'll start September 14th with the first flight, and the last flight is November 3rd, and we have two bus trips in between. In fact... The first bus trip is September 24th, so we'll do the 14th flight, and 10 days later be, <laughs> turn, turn be going head back on, on a four-day bus trip. <laughs> um, the one maybe silver lining uh, in all of this, I guess, uh, is that you had plenty of time to sort of uh, ease into the job, because I know during the course of the last year, uh, you had a, a change in leadership with Deb Wickerham uh, stepping down and uh, you taking over yourself uh, as uh, head of the, you know, kind of the grand poobah of the organization <laughs> here. Well, yeah, so I, be- I am a president of Flight City Honor Flight, but then I also then became flight director of mm-hmm. it also. So, yes, there's a silver lining in that, that you have some extra time. The problem is that you still have to go back now and do that all over again. So mm-hmm. all of the preliminary work of phone calls and those types of things all have to be uh, reinstated or redone again to make sure that everybody. So you pick up the phone the and say, thing. "Hi, remember me?" Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, but I don't think there's going to be problems there. What we're hoping for is that everyone plays nice because uh, lifting the curtain and opening the door, letting us fly again. The reason we fly is to see our memorials in Washington D.C., the Tomb mm-hmm. of the Unknown Soldier. Right. So as long as nothing crazy happens in Washington D.C. with protests and those types of things. 
uh, that, that will be able to fly. And possible outbreaks and all of those things Correct. that uh, could lead to a reclosure. I mean, yes. that is a good point that uh, this is not solely, uh, ball is not solely in your court. You are kind of at the mercy of uh, uh, the Park yeah. Service and, and things like that, exactly. what you're allowed to do. Right now, we do not have the um, police escort yet, which is part of the Park Service. We think that that's going to open up. Mm-hmm. We will still fly even if we don't have the police escort. We just hope that yeah. that happens. So what do you what do you need from from the community? Uh, what can everybody do to help make this happen uh, uh, at this point? Same thing as always, support. <laughs> yeah, support financially. Right now, we're in pretty good shape for this season because we didn't fly last season. So we have the revenue to to have this season work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, we need the volunteers to help with all of the different activities that we do. And volunteers. How do folks uh, volunteer? Because you need uh, folks who can accompany uh, the uh, veterans yep. and, and things like that. Yep. The veterans, the guardians, the volunteers for the different events that we do. Uh, best thing is flagcityhonorflight.org, which is our website. They can find all kinds of information and applications to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And for veterans or family of veterans uh, who would like to apply, uh, is that back open uh, again? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, it is. If they are scheduled to be on the 20 flights uh, and now are going to be on the 21s, they've probably already been notified. Kim has okay. probably already made contact with those people. But anyone interested that we haven't heard from, yes, by all means, get those applications in. We've got the uh, link up on our webpage to the Flag City Honor Flight uh, website where you can get um, all of that uh, information that we were referring to. Again, uh, Bob Weinberg, uh, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Good to uh, have, you, have you back again. Thanks for having me. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day at our webpage. It is goodmornings.net. From our webpage, you can connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email. If there's something you want to share directly, comment or anything you want to share, uh, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Coming up tomorrow on the program, after having been all but eradicated for decades, bed bugs have made a major comeback in recent years. And like most pests, preventing an infestation is much easier and less expensive than getting rid of one. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.